Welcome to the Real Estate Club podcast, Cash on Cash Connections. I'm Luke Shamel with Blake Ripley, and today our guest is Katie Bergen. Katie's a Senior Director of Investor Relations and Capital Strategies at Everwest Real Estate Investors in Denver. One of the things I liked about this episode is that we talked a lot more about the personal side of things and kind of more of career focus than just the real estate aspect of things. But uh, I think we both enjoyed this conversation and we hope you do as well. Well, Katie Bergen, thank you for coming on our podcast. We're looking forward to today's conversation and I I know, uh, you have a lot to share, so. Yeah, thanks for having me. My first question for you was, when we talked last week, you mentioned that right off the bat, you were interested in real estate. I'm just curious, where did that interest stem from? Yeah, so I knew I was interested in business coming out of high school, but I wasn't really sure what, and I didn't have any friends or anyone I knew that worked in commercial real estate. I don't think it's a very visible profession unless you know someone who's in it. Um, but when I got to, when I got to UW and started taking coursework, I knew I didn't want to do accounting and I didn't want to do risk management and was kind of narrowing down that way. And then I went to a UW real estate club meeting and I found that all of the speakers that came there seemed to love their lives, not just their jobs. They were just very happy people. It seemed more like a, like some sort of vocational calling versus just a nine to five day job. Like it was part of their identity. Um, and I hadn't really seen that kind of happiness exuded from a lot of different professions. So that very much got me interested. And the fact that it's a tangible asset is really interesting as well. Like, you know, there's a finance component to it, but the fact that you can make changes and actually see your progress, I like that tangible aspect. Uh, the family connection I have, my dad owned a couple of rental properties. So I had experience like soldering or taking off wallpaper, like more on the residential side but he rented out a couple of units. So I had like a little inkling of what you know it was to be a landlord, um, but not to the scale that I saw through the real estate club. So when you were working on those, those rental properties, uh, was that something that was kind of a pain for you to do? I was going to say, it doesn't seem like that would be the calling to real estate, but no, taking wallpaper off a wall is a pain. <laughs> it, is like a, it is like a five hour project with no end in sight. The, I, it was it was not optional certainly, but there was like a soldering component. I learned some pretty interesting crafts from watching my dad. But you know, I watched him own that and trying to get it rented out, and just kind of learned that way as well. And I believe it was uh, RF we had on the podcast. You talked about how the best way to get into real estate is by starting with something as simple as or yeah, buying a house and then yeah. working on. Um, well, he he was more talking about the development. Uh, side of it but he was talking about if you know you know if you know how to buy parts for your house and fix up stuff then you can negotiate with contractors in the future and say hey I can go to you know Home Depot and do this for cheaper and I thought that was interesting but so after and it's funny when you talk about uh, real estate club and and hearing those speakers because I kind of had a similar experience when I when I first heard uh, the speakers that we had a real estate club and then just in general people that ran the industry you could just tell that they loved what they did. Like the yeah. real estate, it's just from, that you could tell that they enjoyed it. So that's what attracted me to it as well. Yeah, it's such a network. And I think that's even true being on the other side of it now for 10 years, having been out and working in the world, you know, just networking with people. People are interested in grabbing a beer and going to do social activities and really enjoy, you know, talking to their peers. So I think 
it's actually true, which is good for students coming out to know. <laughs> so what made you interested in going to UW-Madison over some other schools? I know you started out uh, at a different school, is that correct? You're, uh, you're gonna out me. Um, yeah, so I'm from Madison originally. I went to West High School right down by Camp Randall and loved the idea of going to UW. Uh, actually, Minnesota has reciprocity, so in-state tuition as well at Minnesota. And for me, it was kind of nice to get out of Madison after living there my whole life. So I went away for a year and Minnesota has a, a good business school. They do not have a real estate program. Um, and so just kind of looking at what I wanted my career to be, I just thought UW was a better school and that I wanted to try and get back there. So I made the transition back um, and it was a great decision and got more involved then in real estate. Did you take any heat uh, for being a gopher for a while when you transferred back to Madison? Not so much. And it was funny though, because all my dorm friends were Minnesota people. So I kind of missed out a little bit on that like freshman year experience. Right. Um, but being from Madison, I had so many high school friends that were in the area. So it, it worked out well. And I'm kind of glad I got away for a year to just, you got to get out of the nest, right? I was too close to my dad um, being in Madison like the whole time. So it was nice to spread my wings a little bit. Yeah, it's got to be. Uh, and then how about after, after you graduated from Madison, um, what did you end up doing for your first job? I graduated in 2009, which was a terrible time to have a degree in real estate. Right. We, there was no jobs. We actually had the real estate career fair that year and there was 20 companies there and not one of them actually had a job. So it was just <laughs> kind of depressing. They're all just saving face with the university and they, they showed up and they'd take resumes, but there was no jobs. Um, so I... Yeah, it was, it was, it's, I'm sure it's similar to how the COVID situation has been for students now. Um, but I got a job with an alumni out of Philadelphia and there was like only five or so real estate jobs that were around that year. So I got one of them and moved to Philly. I didn't know anyone in Philly, but wanted to get out of the Midwest since I'd grown up there and did appraisal and consulting for a year and a half, which is kind of a good place to hide out during a recession as well. It's like, it's kind of like having an accounting or finance background. Like it's very applicable to all the commercial real estate stuff. And even now my company reviews appraisals. So it's that skill set. I didn't love it. It's not, it wasn't for me long-term, but I did it for a year and a half before I moved into real estate, private equity. And uh, when you made the transition, what were you looking for? Was it a connection that you made or how did you eventually make that transition? It was 2011, so I'd been doing that job for a year and a half, and the market had started to get a little bit better. The Philadelphia private equity real estate scene, there's maybe 10 or so big companies there. And I had one company that I had a friend at, and he got me a job interview there. And so while I was interviewing there, I looked around, and I found the other company that I ended up working for. And they were hiring for an analyst doing acquisitions and asset management. And so I went over there, and then I interviewed with them and I talked to a couple of their former employees as well, which I think is helpful. If you can talk to people who left there on you know, good terms and still speak highly of it. And so that's what I found. So in 2011, I joined a group called Center Square Investment Management and did acquisitions and asset management for them for three years before moving into what I do now, which is more of a fundraising and investor relations space. So a lot of the guests we've had on um, who maybe entered the workforce during a recession like you did, said they started out in appraisal, um, yeah. even if that's not where they ultimately wanted to be. How do yeah. you think starting out in a role like that um, helped prepare you for like a later acquisition or asset management role? 
I was in the thick of it with the appraisals and we were appraising a lot of land in Delaware that was subdivision land. And it was a little heartbreaking because the developers that owned that land, their values were just tanking and the banks kept needing to write it down. So it's very real time, you know, it's people's livelihoods and their assets are getting written down. So it's, it was, you're in the thick of it, but also the assets are worthless. So, you know, that was interesting to be in the middle of it. And then also just to figure out how to value buildings is really helpful even right now, because if I looked at an appraisal or a broker opinion of value on an asset, I might have some opinions on their sales comps and kind of how they got to their price. So I, I find it personally a little monotonous and a little, a little boring, but um, I think it's a great background to have. And yeah, it felt like taking another you know, year of college basically with all the research and writing I had to do. That's interesting. And, and how about um, as far as what you learned, you know, in your first job that you do think is applicable today? Like what, are there any lessons that you could give to students that are, you know, kind of in a similar situation like we talked about today? Yeah, I mean, I think one to like take what you can get, it was going to be that job or working in finance, which I didn't want to do long term. And I was lucky that I got a job that was in real estate and it was not for good, great pay at that time at all. And I had to move to a city where I didn't know anyone, which I found exciting. My dad found scary. Um, so it was kind of out of my comfort zone, but it was also scarier to just stay put, right? And not do something different. So I think you kind of got to follow your gut. It was not, you know, it wasn't a glory job by any means, but it was working for an alumni, which I loved. So if you can get a job with an alumni and you have that connection, and he was just a really, you know, good person, good mentor, good teacher. Um, yeah, just kind of do what you have to do and then take your head out of the sand and look around and see what you want your career to be. Right. Speaking of, you know, your career, you've made a few moves. And how, how did you, you know, balance your personal side of things yeah. with your career? Yeah, so I kind of just am more of a lifestyle person, which is why also I wouldn't have wanted to work in New York City, but... I'm in Denver now and I've always just, you know, work should not be the end all be all. It should be fulfilling. And in your first couple of jobs, you might have some late nights and that's kind of to be expected. But I think long-term, you know, you want to, you want to work because you enjoy it, and you're passionate about it. And then you want to cut off after work hours and enjoy your personal time. And so I think too, even the mentality on the East coast versus Denver can be a little more cutthroat and a little more long hours. In Denver, and even at my company, people enjoy their weekends and they go skiing and um, they're just kind of passionate about life. So I try and balance that as well. And I think I did that by moving to Denver three or four years ago now, just making that kind of personal commitment to myself. Um, and then I have a baby that's two, so I get to see him a lot and like make time for my family and number two on the way in five months here. That's exciting. Very yeah. Exciting. Yeah. Scary. <laughs> it's good. I, I can't. I can't say whether it is or not. <laughs> it's scary. <laughs> so going back to when you were talking about, you know, taking time and making sure that you're also doing stuff outside of work that you enjoy. You know, what what are some of those things for you? And you know, do you think most employers are, you know, pretty respectful of some of the other interests that you might have? So those things for me are yoga. I became a certified yoga instructor, which was like 200 hours of training, but I met some really cool people in Philly doing that. Um, and then I also got certified as a life coach, 
um, because I really enjoy mentoring and helping people. So I do both those um, still now. Um, I think generally companies are supportive that people have hobbies and lives outside of work. I think if it's, you know, coming in during your work day, that's not okay. But I would take it as a sign from your company culture. If they're not supportive of that, that's, you know, maybe not a great place to be either, right? Long-term. So like, my current company is very supportive of outside hobbies and, you know, they, everyone takes an interest in each other's hobbies and interests. So I, I think that's important. Uh, so let's talk about, let's talk about you as a life coach. How did you get involved with getting certified as a life coach? was doing my yoga teacher training and it was kind of to me like one step beyond that but I'd done so much mentorship for students and young people coming out and I really thought that getting some kind of formal training in it too was helpful and the whole philosophy behind life coaching is to not give advice which I find really interesting it's more about um kind of mirroring back to people what they're already feeling or saying and helping them give themselves permission to do what they really want to do and to make some big life changes that are moving in the direction of their values. And the other thing we talked about this last week too, that I've noticed is, you know, when you're coming out of school, you got to get a job. It's hustle, hustle, all of that. But let's say you hit your late twenties, early thirties, and you're at, you know, a pretty good point in your career and just kind of looking around and saying like, what do I want my life to be at that point? So I get really interested in the answer to that for people. Um, and I've just found that looking at my peers, you know, they're getting more senior in their company and they're trying to figure out, yeah, what am I passionate about outside of work? What do I want my long-term career to look like? Um, so I think that's kind of just a natural progression for people. And how about something I've thought about too, is that like, you know, I personally, you know, I, I want to work as hard as I can for the same company yeah. for as long as possible, whether yeah. that's, you know, whether it's three years or my entire career. Uh, yeah. But how do you, you know, let's just say that you're in a situation uh, where you don't necessarily like what you're doing. How do you know when it's time to make a move? I feel like the universe will give you a sign. You just need to listen. Like some, something will go terribly awry at your current job that'll kick you out of that safety net. Or, you know, you'll, you'll meet someone who talks about something they like doing. I feel like when you're ready, like the signs just kind of show up. But also just taking your head out of the sand, not, you know, going to networking events and meeting with other people and keep talking to people because when you're working late nights, it's hard to go meet people and get outside of your own bubble. So right. I think just kind of staying open-minded and talking to more people outside of your immediate company is just generally a good idea. Right. Right. And I guess I made that comment with the assumption that I wouldn't get fired before that happened. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, well, and you're lucky if you're if you land at a good company, you're right out the gate. That's a good thing. I was with my last company for eight years, which is I think pretty good for a millennial. Um, before I joined Everwest a year and a half ago, so I don't know if you're at the right spot. That's good. Then you know acknowledge that the grass is not always greener. Right. But if you're kind of feeling in your gut that there's not a cultural fit for you there, there's something that's missing. You know, keep exploring that. Right. Right. Yeah. Cody Lane has talked about. Um, some of the dangers of always looking about looking at other companies or looking at yeah. other companies and, and thinking about oh the grass you know the grass is greener over there and and uh, what happens is at least what he was explaining is that you lose focus of the things that you can do at the current firm you're working at yeah. and the opportunities you can take advantage of. So I think that's fair, and I also think that if you evaluate the market, just call it once a year. I had a, a former colleague of mine who just made it a point on her calendar once a year to evaluate the market. That way you feel like at choice. I'm still choosing my current job because I like it. 
but you're not feeling like one's just so stuck because I have no time to do anything and I'm not really sure if there's something better. I like that being at choice. So yeah, I've looked around, but I still think my situation's better. I think that's kind of a, a nice place to be. Right, right. And uh, getting, getting into like the real estate side of things, what is your favorite element of the business? Uh, it has to be networking because a couple of years into doing acquisitions and asset management, the senior leadership came to me and said, you like talking to people and we think you should go talk to more people and threw me into more of a marketing fundraising role. And it was true. I mean, that's what I liked from the real estate club too, and just networking with people. Um, so I think that's my favorite part is just getting to talk to more people and having friends in the industry and it being really collaborative. I do like, I, I can be a deal junkie too. I like when we renovate buildings, Everwest does quite a bit of industrial. Like I like looking at the before and afters and hearing what we're doing. So I, I can get into that, but I think the networking and just the kind of industry passion is what gets me excited. And have you, uh, just out of curiosity, have you stayed in touch with a lot of Badgers that you graduated with? Yeah, and you know, more so through the conferences that we have, um, or if I go back to Chicago, there's quite a few Badgers there. Um, but yeah, I think it's just a long-term network. And even if it's someone who works at a you know, competitor of your company, you still keep in touch with them because I think you learn a lot of good market intel. Um, so yeah, I, I really do appreciate the different people I met when I was in the program and even the professors, I, you know, still kept in touch with Sharon McKay for the longest time. There you go. Yeah. We're trying to, we're working on getting Sharon on the podcast right now. So do it. That'd be great. Hopefully she joins us. Yeah, she will. She's good at that. So Katie, so one of the things I thought about, you know, when I first joined the real estate program is like, you know, what, what is real estate, right? And I thought about yeah. different roles and I, you know, I heard about being an analyst and I heard about acquisitions, but, you know, I didn't really know what, what those things were. So I know, I know you have, uh, your, the role you're in now with fundraising is, is a different role. So I was just curious, could you talk a little bit about that? Yeah. Yeah. And I agree with what you said earlier too. In the real estate club, there's a lot of developers that come through, right? And so we all get fired up about development, which is a very cool space. Um, and my current job, I had no idea was a job at all until even when I was at my last company until they kind of asked me to be doing more of this. But what I do is on a national basis, I talk to different pension plans or endowments. So in Wisconsin, there's the University of Wisconsin endowment, which will invest maybe five to 15% into real estate. Or there's the state of Wisconsin investment board, which invests on behalf of Wisconsin state employees. And again, they'll put money into real estate. So I'm trying to make connections and relationships with different institutional investors. It could be a family office, high net worth individuals. There's quite a few consultants that advise those institutions as well. So I'm trying to make relationships with them. But there's, I don't know, hundreds of real estate companies like Everwest, like mine, that are out there in the market. And we're talking to those investors about what we do and what we do well. So Everwest does a lot of industrial value add projects around the country. And right now we have separate accounts. So we have a couple direct pension plans that we advise and do separate accounts for, but there's also kind of this commingled fundraising space, which I wasn't aware of as a student either, but a lot of the large national investment managers you see raise commingled funds. So looking for 10 to 30 different investors to put their money into a shared pool and then that investment manager goes and invests in different assets. 
around the country. And so I'm trying to just kind of make relationships and try and differentiate what we do versus other investment managers. So how do how do you balance building a relationship and you know eventually providing a service yeah. or having people invest with your company? Like how does uh, how does that balance play out? It's a long road because what you're you're asking people for their trust for a long duration for the fund life, it's usually seven to ten years that you're asking people to allocate money to you. And it's quite a bit of capital. A lot of the institutional investors are putting out 10 plus million, you know, up to a couple hundred million in each fund. So it's a very long-term relationship building piece of it. I also will do a little bit of client service as well. So once the investors are in the funds, then I'll have an ongoing relationship with them. But it's just about long-term trust building and being consistent and showing that what you do is differentiated in the market. Um, and then how about, uh, you mentioned before that you recently switched jobs. Can you talk yeah. about about that process and what that was like? Yeah, I think it was extra scary for me having come out of the recession too. I think part of getting a job during the recession was people were happy to have a job. So switching jobs after eight years at my old firm was really hard. I really enjoyed the people there and I liked what we did, but I'd known the folks over at EverWest for four plus years and they're based and headquartered here in Denver. My old firm was based in Philadelphia and I'd worked for them remotely for a few years, which was great. But I kind of missed having that in-person connection at the corporate side. Um, and I really like what EverWest does. They're a vertically integrated operator. I like that model. Um, and they didn't have a fundraising person. So I kind of kept in touch with them and said, if, if anything ever opens up, you know, please consider me. I'm in the market here. I love what you're doing. I think you guys have a great setup over there. So I think just also being consistent with them so that when they were eventually ready to hire for this position, they at least you know, thought of me and kept me in mind. Right. And I think it, I mean, that was going on four years of talking to them. And I think that's how you end up getting the roles you really want is by being persistent and consistent and keep talking to people. And that goes back to that, you know, building the relationships, which is yeah. what you do for a job now. I think that's interesting. Yeah. And how about, I, I think it's amazing that you moved from Philadelphia to Denver. So where did, yeah. like, where did that come from? Was that just like the, you know, the company with opportunity or, you know, how did that work? It was serendipitous, I will say, because... I started, I was living in Philly and I started dating my high school sweetheart again after just taking a short 10 year break. And <laughs> he, break. his little 10 year break, you know, we let ourselves mature out. Um, he was down in Phoenix and I was in Philly and neither one of us had strong ties to either city. We liked it, but it wasn't, we didn't have family connections or anything there. And I wanted to be in Denver after I graduated college, which wasn't an option during the recession. And he loved Denver as well. So I think it was a month into dating again, he said, like, what's the end game here? Like, where are we going to live? Like, what's going to happen? Um, and within two minutes, we both said we love Denver. So we tried to make a long-term plan to get here. It took us about 10 months. Um, but then we, he was able to relocate and work for his company. And I was able to relocate and work for my company. And kind of at the same time, my company in Philly thought I should move West. It was just perfect timing. They said, we should have some fundraising people out West. What do you think about that? And I said, that's a great idea. That's <laughs> very perfect. Um, so it worked out, but it's, uh, and then we got married two years later. So I think that the other thing we were talking about is when you know what you want in life. And, you know, I was, I guess, 28 and kind of looking around and being like, well, I miss my, my high school sweetheart that I kind of stalked him down and found him and told him we should be dating again. And now we're married. There you go for it. I like that. Had to go for it. Yep. All right. Um, yeah. So 
now we're going to get into our what's called our badger buzz round. Um, this oh. is the, the rapid fire uh, part of the podcast. And Ooh. now it's time for the badger buzz round. So the first question of the badger buzz round is, who is your favorite professor at UW-Madison? Um, definitely Sharon McCabe. And in second was Morris Davis, who's since left, but he was kind of snarky and fun. And um, he taught real estate economics at the time. Okay. Uh, second question is, do you have a favorite book, um, real estate or non-real estate that you'd recommend for you know, all of our listeners to, to read? Um, I don't know that I have a favorite book per se. I, I have found myself reading a lot of um, kind of life coaching books or career development books, a lot of women books about women in the business space. There's one called Nice Girls Don't Get the Corner Office. I found some interesting tidbits in there. Um, so I don't know that I have a favorite book. I'm not usually into reading over and over. I mean, if I had to actually say my favorite book, it'd be Harry Potter, which is kind of sad. But on the business side, I do a lot of other reading as well. That's a good Harry Potter. You can't, can't <laughs> we can argue with that. I mean, that's that's a classic. All right. The the final question: uh, Did you have a favorite bar while you were on campus? Favorite bar. I liked the Blue Velvet. Blue Velvet. That's, yeah. That's a first we've heard on the podcast, but it's good. The Blue Velvet. We used to have like girls night there Tuesdays and they had a good dance floor on the second floor. And it was kind of less crowded like earlier in the night than most places and less of a line. So that was a good spot. There you go. Did they have any drink specials? We did the, it was like a peach Bellini. So it was a frozen peach in champagne. That was our Tuesday girls night drink special. Yeah, they have some pretty fancy drinks there. Yeah, they get what fancy. The, what was it called? The uh, peach peach bellini. Peach bellini. Wow. Not on a weekend. You can only have two of those before it's too sugary and you get sick. But <laughs> yeah. good for good for a Tuesday. Yeah, yeah, a Tuesday, nice. Um, yeah. Great. Well, is there anything else you want to share with us, Katie? Quick plug for RIA, Wisconsin Real Estate Alumni Association. I've been serving on the board of directors for three years now and I'm national programs chair. Um, but for any students that are not currently members of RIA, it's free for students. There's 1,200 active alumni. Think of them as 1,200 people who will help you get a job. That could be your future manager. So I would just encourage anyone who's interested to get involved. We put on events, a lot of Zoom calls over COVID and a lot of in-person events in whatever city you're in. Well, Katie, I, I know I enjoyed the conversation. Thank you uh, a ton for coming on and, and for your time. And um, yeah, I know our listeners will enjoy it too. So. Awesome. Thank you both for having me. I appreciate it.